Kids rule. So we are continuing our st- study at Nehemiah. We'll be in chapter 6 today, so if you want to open up your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen when the time comes for us to read through it, but uh, if you want to open your Bibles and follow along. Over the past couple of weeks, we've explored uh, a lot of different subjects since we've been in Nehemiah. In the past couple of weeks, we've been studying uh, conflict and opposition. We've had some some different things going on with the people there, and, and, and they're facing some opposition and conflict as they, uh, the, as they built the wall, as they, as they continue to restore this wall around the Jerusalem. Their, their opposition was from enemies, and, and then there was also some conflict from the, the people within the, uh, the Jewish people themselves. There's, there's a lot of conflict there that we talked about last week. Conflict and opposition can keep us from completely fulfilling what God has in store. And that's what was going on. Is the enemy was using this, these conflicts and this opposition to try to keep God's work from happening. See, when, when we try to pursue the life of God or when we try to pursue things for God, there's, uh, the enemy will be out there trying to, trying to stop that. And, and opposition and, and conflict can, can rob our hopes and our, our plans as we move forward as we try to work for God and try to do things for God and try to fulfill his calling in our lives, it can, it can really blow them out of the water. It can really stop us from doing those things. See, as you pursue God's call in your life and as a church, as we move forward in restoration and, and, we, and we try to move toward obedience and ministry, the, the, the obedience and ministry that God would have us do, there's another obstacle that can stop our growth. There's another obstacle that we can face. There's opposition, there's conflict, but there's another one, and it's called distractions. Distractions can, can keep us from moving forward and, and doing what God has, us, uh, has planned for us. See, we, we as people, we're very distractible people, aren't we? Think about this message uh, right up here right now. During this time, this, this 30, 40 minutes that we're up here, you're going to go through a bunch of different things. You might be looking at the, the little dots up on that wall up there, up on the, on the projector. We were talking about that earlier. It's a little distracting. You look at that. Next thing you know, from now on, throughout the whole message, you're going to be looking at that, aren't you? You're going to be thinking about that. You're going to be like, oh, there's those spots again. And I'm going to make it worse for you. I was staring at them earlier, and I saw them blinking. So it's not dust. They're like little blinks. So now, throughout this message, you're going to be looking up here, and you're going to be looking, trying to find one of them blinking lights, aren't you? You're going to be looking, thinking about that every once in a while. And then you'll focus back on me, and you'll be listening for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, your mind will wander, and you'll start looking at stuff like that. See, it could be anything from that to, to maybe our stomach's growling because you mixed breakfast this morning because you're rushing to get here on time. So it's getting to be, you know, it's 11, 11.30, and normally on a busy, a regular work day, you're, you're having lunch around now. So you're starting to get a little hungry, and you're listening to me, and next thing you know, you're like, oh, Trani sounds pretty good today. What am I going to do? Oh, how about Hardee's? Hardee's, ooh. And then you start thinking about that. And raise your hand if you've had that happen during a message. Let's be honest. Yeah, see? I have too. Uh, it's, it's just like you, you sit there and next thing you know, you're just, your mouth starts drooling over some pizza or something. See, it could be anything from that to, to a child crying or playing around or messing around or talking to even a siren going by. 
Siren goes by, next thing you know, you're thinking, was that fire? Was that police? So we, we're very distractible people. We get distractions all the time. See, and distractions in itself is not really a problem. We're just, we're like that. That's, that's kind of how we are. Life is full of distractions. Simply being highly distractible is not really a big deal when you're in a controlled environment. But let's face it, life is not a controlled environment. Life is full of distractions, full of things and events going on. Uh, it's full of distractions, and, and those distractions are constantly taking us from the path that God would have us be on, the journey that he would have us on. Let me phrase the problem another way. Life is, happens right now. Bills happen right now. Jobs, crises, these are events that happen right now. They happen all the time. We have things that we have to deal with right now. So now is really life and distractions. See, church, Bible studies, serving God, those are things that, that okay, that's, that we can do that, we can do that later, but right now I really got to take care of these things. And those are important things. But doing these God and church and Bible study, those are, those are not quite as important. I could do those later. And we'll get around to it down the road. There's so many things in front of us right now that I have to attend to. I don't have time to go to the weekly Bible study. Or I don't have time to go to Sunday school. I don't have time to share the gospel with somebody. So God gets pushed back. God gets, becomes a blur. And these distractions become center stage. They, they become the center of our attention. See, we are easily distractible. And which means that our priorities are easily distractible also. Nehemiah provides a wonderful answer for defeating these distractions in chapter 6. See, in chapter 6, the majority of the wall is finished. And the vision of, of completing this wall, it's, it's just about there. All they have left is hanging up some doors. And it's just about there, and, and, and the vision is almost done. And all that has left is hanging these doors, and it would appear that nothing could stop them from finishing and coming to completion. But Sam Ballad and, and his friends, his, his buddies, have, have not given up yet. All of their attempts to derail the work that we talked about over the past couple of weeks uh, it has failed. They haven't been able to stop them. So now they change plans. They, they go a different direction. And they start going after the leader. Leadership expert John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. So they go after Nehemiah. Let me give you a little simple outline of chapter 6. There's three, three parts. You can break up the chapter 6 into three separate parts. And that's what we're going to go through today. And that's going to be, the one is going to be verses 1 through 4. It's going to be the intrigue. And then we're going to look at 5 through 9. It's going to be the innuendo. And then the remaining nine verses are the intimidation. So let's take a look at the first part. We're going to look at verses one through four first. Now let's read through that, and then we'll, we'll dig in and, and look at what we can learn from Nehemiah here about distractions and how to deal with these. So ver, uh, starting in uh, verse one, when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and there was no gap left in it, Though at the time I had not installed the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. But they were planning to harm me. 
So I went to, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should I, why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. Sam Ballot and his buddies failed in their attempts to stop the wall builders. Remember the past couple weeks, they kept trying different things. Fear, intimidation. Um, then they, they even threw a bunch of uh, other stuff in there to try to get them to stop. Now they had to just, uh, concentrate their attacks on Nehemiah himself by changing their tactics and resorting to subtle persuasion. So you might want to call this political softball. They're inviting him down to, to Ono. See, you may experience this as well when you try to correct some things in your life. See, many people are wavering in the Christian life and the Christian journey because they only listen to, they listen to advice and temptations from their friends and those closest to them. See, these enemies suddenly became Nehemiah's friends and, or Nehemiah's friend and invited him down to this, this great valley of Ono, the plains of Ono. And this is out in this place. Actually, Ono Valley was actually part of the, near the Gaza Strip. And it was actually a resort type area. Beautiful. And the first four verses is like a political concession speech. It's like, okay, the, the walls are almost, are just about, they're done and the gates are almost done. And so it, was, it seems like they're just this nice gesture of, come on down to this resort. Come hang out with us. And Nehemiah senses danger because he says, you know what, they're, they're looking to harm me. This, he senses that something, this isn't right. He's right through it. So Nehemiah says no. Some commentators suggest that they're trying to trick him to leave. Because remember, the, the people there in, in, the, in the temple area, they all had swords and they were protecting themselves not too long ago. So they were ready to fight and that didn't work. So now they're trying to get Nehemiah out turf, trying to get him out to maybe where he's not really guarded because he can't take everybody with swords. He wants to leave the Jerusalem protected. So he's trying to divide and conquer and try to get him out there on his own so they can destroy him, kill him. But Nehemiah senses something's wrong. Nehemiah sees that something's not right here. And he firmly declines, saying, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should I stop work and leave to go see you? That's a great answer. Why should I leave what God has called me to do to go down here in this resort? See, Nehemiah sees through the scheme by refusing their invitation four different times. See, you too might experience some pressure from people to do certain things that, that aren't really what God wants you to do, but, but you're being pressured to do certain things. Maybe, uh, you know, pressure to change your mind and go along with something that you know is not right. Or maybe God hasn't called you to do. Some of us give in to that repeated pressure. I know we talk about peer pressure as, as teenage years, but we get it as adults too. That pressure from the church or pressure from some friends to do things. Maybe serve in an area that you aren't called to serve. Those are all still simple, simple pressures. We might decline at first invitation, but we find our defenses weakened over time and the enticements continue and we get worn out. We finally give in. But Nehemiah persists in the refusal. He knows what his priorities are. He says, I'm doing a great world work. I'm, I'm going to do my calling. God has called me to do this. That's what I'm going to do. God, God has committed a huge project for me and that's what I'm going to finish out. And if I leave, that'll be threatened. If I leave, that won't get done. 
See, sometimes we get distractions in all kinds of different forms. And some of these distractions are actually, in themselves, are not necessarily a horrible, evil thing. It might on the surface be fine. Sports, television, hobbies, internet, all kinds of stuff. See, one of my distractions is, is the internet. I love reading research. I love to research. You ask me a question, next thing you know, a day or two later, I'm on the internet looking up on my Bible software, trying to find the answer, reading books. I want to know. I don't like that. I don't like not knowing, so I want to have an answer, try to find the answer. Or I'll see something on TV or something, and I'll think, wow, that's interesting. I wonder how that works. But see, that in itself is not necessarily bad. But you know what happens is next thing you know, it takes away from my Bible time or it takes away from my study time for pre- preparing for this. It takes away from the important things in my life instead of doing what I should do. See, those little things can distract us into doing what's, what's important. Unfortunately, we don't give God a proper place in our schedule sometimes. We neglect them altogether when we allow distractions to come into our lives. One of the most helpful things we can do is resist the temptation and to remember that God gave us a great task. God gave us a task to reach out to the world with the gospel. He gave us a, a true calling to every believer in Jesus Christ to share the gospel, to serve in ministry. He called all of us to go out and make disciples. And if we're to do that, see, when we remember that, it's a little easier to have our priorities set. When we remember, like Nehemiah remembered God's calling to the wall and what his job was, and so when we remember that great task that each and every one of us has, it's a little easier to push aside some of those temptations and some of those distractions. See, we're called to make an impact in the kingdom of God. Our priorities as a church are summed up in our mission statement. And we've summed up the mission statement in three simple words. Reaching, teaching, and going. Reaching the lost, making disciples through teaching and spiritual growth and going, using our spiritual gifts and ministry and, and to serve God in some way. I read a story years ago about a missionary in China whose abilities were so outstanding that an American company tried to hire him. This guy was outstanding. And so they gave him this beautiful benefit package. It's great salary, a great job. And, and he told them no. They said God sent me to China as a missionary, and uh, I'm sorry, but I'll decline. So he thought that would be the end of it. But then he got another offer, bigger salary, bigger office, bigger package. So declined again. Another offer, bigger and more. And finally he said to him, said, look, it's not that the, the job, or it's not that the, the package and salary is too little. It's that the job is too small. He wants to go serve Christ. That is a bigger deal than a nice salary package. In her book, Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskin tells a a story about a noted uh, violinist who asked the secret of her mastery of her instrument. And this is what she says. There are many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed, straightened my room, dusted, and did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. That program of planned neglect is the secret to my success. Planned neglect was the secret to her success. 
In a similar way, we are called to a great task, a great task of serving God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And we need to prioritize things. And sometimes we need to do our own planned neglect. Sometimes we just need to neglect certain things that are not that important so we can do the things that are. And that's what Nehemiah does. He's involved in a great work, and he's not going to forsake, any, forsake it for anything else. He's going to make that a priority. He's going to make that number one. The next thing, uh, the, as an enemy cannot accomplish his purpose through offering peach, he switches, switches it up. He changes again to a, to a scheme a little bit more sinister, a little bit more sinister threats. He moves from political softball to political hardball. See, it didn't work the first way, so now they're changing tactics. In verse 5 through 9, it reads, Sanballat sent me a, a, the same message a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are becoming their king and have, set, have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim your, on your behalf that there is a king in Judah. These reports will be heard by the king. So come, let us confer together. Then I replied to him, There is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them with your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying, They will become discouraged in their work and will never be finished. By now my God strengthened me. This arm-twisting tactic he uses is designed to put pressure on Nehemiah to yield to the request. He's trying to pressure them to come see them and, and again, fall into the trap. See, they're trying to, to say the first one didn't work. Come down to this beautiful resort. It's very tempting. They play nice, but now they go a lot further. Now they're playing hardball. Now they're trying to pressure him to come down. But he resists because he sees it for what it really is, an enticement based upon lies. You notice that the word there, it says an unsealed letter, an open letter. Okay, I want you to draw attention to that. That was designed for them to spread around. When you, when you seal a letter, it was only between the sender and the recipient. But when it was an open letter, anybody can read it. That's the purpose. It was open to the public. They, they did that on purpose. It was designed for everybody to let the read so the lies could get spread around. Have you ever noticed that when rumors happen, you never really get the original source from it? It's always from all these different people that, that heard about it from one friend, but it's never the people involved. And that's what's really going on here. They send out this letter and, and spread these rumors around. <clears throat> someone has said that gossip is news. You have to hurry to tell someone else before you find out it isn't true. So Nehemiah responded in three different ways when he got this. When he got this letter, he denied the rumor, he prayed to God for strength, and then he went right back to work. He didn't mess around with it. And look at verse 8. It says, when I replied to him, then I replied to him, there's nothing to these rumors that you are spreading. They are inventing, you are inventing them in your own mind. See, he was just a flat denial. He didn't play games with them. He didn't get into this big drama about it. It was a straight to the point. You know what? You're lying. I'm not going to play with this. I got a job to do. It's another distraction. 
He doesn't try to disprove it. He just merely states, that's a lie. And then he goes on like he usually does and goes right on to a prayer. He shoots up another dark prayer. And that's where at the end it says, God strengthened me. He just goes right into a prayer. Denies it, goes into a prayer. And we see that in verse 9. See, their tactics were to get people to think that Nehemiah had some hidden agenda, hidden motive. They're trying to get him to, to or, or spread out this lie that, that he was doing this for his own glory. The rebuilding of the wall and hoping that the workers would become discouraged and quit and say, oh, Nehemiah's just doing it for, for his glory. He just likes the attention. He just wants it so he can become king. And the people would get discouraged and quit. Nehemiah simply prays, Lord, do not let that happen. Strengthen me to work all the harder. They were on his last, they were on the last lap of the trip. They were on the last lap of the race. They were just about finished. It took great character and trust in God to take care of his, rep, uh, his reputation. He just went straight to the point and focused on God. Once again, after that, in verse 10, we see that the enemy switches tactics again. So three times. Political softball, political hardball. Now they're trying something completely different. They're not giving up. In verse 10 it says, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of, I don't know, let's call him Michael. Met, met, I can't say that word. We'll call him Michael. Who was restricted to his house. He said, let us meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let us shut the temple doors because they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. So now they ramped up the heat. Now they're really changing tactics. See, this false prophet claims to have hidden knowledge. That's suggested in the phrase, restricted to my house. He was a shut-in. And what, and, uh, what they would do is he was claiming to have some religious insight. This was frequently the case of people that, that believed that they, or they would play it off like they were, had some, some religious connection or some, some super spiritual abilities. And they would hide in these, uh, they had this connection to the invisible world and they would hide in these curtains and dark, dark rooms and they would kind of make it real mystifying and kind of make it a little bit more dramatic. And they would sit behind curtains and say different things to try to get people to believe him and follow him. Mystics. Now, what he says sounds pretty logical. These, these guys are going to come kill you. That makes sense. He says you're gonna, they're going to kill you tonight. So Nehemiah probably believes that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. These guys are coming after him. He's already had a lot of dealings with these guys. They've been in opposition for a long time now. And by this guy saying that they're going to come kill him, that makes total sense to Nehemiah. He probably believes that. And this man suggests that they meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. And they're coming to kill you tonight. They would not dare attack you in the temple. That sounds good. But immediately, Nehemiah detects something's not right. He knows that something's wrong in this situation. He knows that he's not permitted in the temple and that only the priests are allowed to go into that holy place. So he answers in verse 11. He says, but I say, should a man like me run away? 
how can I enter the temple and live? I will not go. And he stands firm again. He says, no, I will not go. He realizes that this prophet who was really, if a prophet was really from the Lord, if he was really a godly prophet, he would not contradict God. If a prophet claims to be a prophet and he goes against the word of God and goes against God, he's not a prophet of God. And he realizes this. And in verse 3, he says, I cannot come down. He says, and then later on now, he says, I won't go in. Having the right priorities, Nehemiah, having the right priorities gave Nehemiah the courage to stand up and to do what needed to be done. He had the courage to do what was right. Courage isn't the absence of fear, but instead it's the tenacity to do what's right no matter how much we're afraid. That's what courage is. See, if we're not afraid, it's easy. But when we're afraid, that's where courage kicks in. John Wayne says, I, I, I'm a John Wayne fan. Anybody John Wayne fan? A few of you? Yeah, the Duke. John Wayne says this, courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyway. Being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Doing it. So you see, it's, just not, it's not just a matter of saying no to distractions. So we get distractions all the time. It's not just saying no. We also have to say yes to the right things. We have to say yes to our priorities and, and match our priorities with God's priorities. We have to match what was important to us with what's important to God. We have to say yes to the right things. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. We need to, we'll be able to deal with distractions the way Nehemiah did. When, we, when our priorities and God's priorities are in tune, in line, it'll be easy, a lot easier to say no to these things. And we'll be able to say yes to the right priorities. God gives Nehemiah some insight in verse 12 and 13. It says, I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sam, Sambal had, had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intim, intimidated, do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. They wanted to discredit him. It was all part of a plan to discourage and distract the people from following Nehemiah's lead. They were trying to stop God's work. Fueled by jealousy and ambition, these enemies slandered him and tried to trick him into yielding to their demands. They used different tactics to try to stop him. We must be aware of this kind of attack in our lives as well. See, don't take somebody's advice or from a friend or family member just because they seem like a nice person. They might be, but they might not have the right priorities. They might not be following God. Don't let anyone or anything distract you from God's priorities in your life. The best response is to approach, uh, it, the best response to such approach is what Nehemiah uses here. A deep sense of true identity as a believer. Should a man like me run and hide and try to save his own life by doing wrong and unlawful approaches? That's what he's basically doing. He's standing firm and he's saying, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand in who I am with Christ or who I am with God. He falls back on his clear understanding of who he is and what his priorities are. He is a believer in a living God 
And as such, he's not going to resort to trickery just to save his life. He's not going to resort to all those things. He's going to make sure that he's going to follow God in everything. Nehemiah makes this, this attack of the enemy by going to prayer once again in verse 14. He goes right up. Remember how he shot uh, right before the king? He shot that quick prayer up. He likes to do that. And this another one. He goes right to God in prayer. This brings us to the end of the first phase of Nehemiah's work in verse 15 through, and 16. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. He did the wall in 52 days. Remember how big that wall was? Some parts were nine feet wide. He did it in 52 days. When all of our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations saw it, our enemies lost their self-confidence. Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Testimony. They realized it was God that built that wall through Nehemiah and the people. Even their enemies had to admit that God was at work. They had to admit it. This entire project was done in 52 days. That was unreal. What a beautiful picture of the Christian community. And the Christian witness in, in, our, in our community and in our world. See, even our foes, even our enemies, even the people that, that hate Christians would have to agree that God works out among them. There's a guy on TV, I, I'd never watch him, but I heard this, I saw this one little video clip. And this guy, is, uh, his name's Bill Maher, he's, on, he's got some talk show thing. And um, he's, he's an atheist, and he pretty much... He's always bashing Christians and stuff like that. And I've heard him over, off and on over the years. And for the, um, somebody on his, um, on his show said something about uh, Christians not, you know, not giving, they're selfish. I don't know. I forgot what he said. And Bill Maher, who usually antagonizes Christians, makes fun of him, turned around and said, that is complete baloney. He used a little bit more colorful words. But he said that was complete baloney. Christians do more good in this world than any other group. Here's a guy that normally doesn't like us, criticizes us. But even he has to recognize the good that we do as Christians. See, even our enemies will recognize God working through us. But these enemies, Nehemiah's enemies, are still not done. In these closing verses, we see how they continue their tactics of opposing and and distracting. In verse 17 and 18. Also, in these days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah keep coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, and son of Jehonanan, and married, had married the daughter of Meshalem, son of Berechiah. See, simply stated is that Tobiah married an Israelite. So he's part of the family. And they were taking advantage of that relationship. And he was seeking to undermine Nehemiah's leadership. It was, it was with nothing more than gossip. They're sending these letters. They're using him as an inside man. And they were just trying to undermine what Nehemiah was doing. Folks, here's one overriding truth from this book. The devil never quits. The enemy never quits. He's, gonna, he's never going to give up while we're still alive. God has wonderful blessings. 
and much encouragement and joy for us along the way. But we must never cease battling against the world, the flesh, and the devil until we get to heaven. It will happen. If we think we can sit back as Christians and just ride this wonderful ride, we're sadly mistaken. We're going to be under attack. And, it's, and one of the ways he does it is through these distractions to keep you ineffective. The enemy, enemy of God will never quit. If he cannot distract you with fear and flattery, he'll use gossip and false accusations. He's the father of lies. And he will come after us. So as we close this morning, let's ask God to apply this message to our lives with two action steps. Two things that we can do. Two things we can apply in our lives. The first is practice saying yes to God's priorities. Say yes to what God has in store. Say yes to ministry opportunities. The best way to not be distracted is to be is by being attracted to those things that are at the heart of God. When you hear about God doing things, join. When you see God working in our community, join him. Learn and replace worldly values with godly values. Once we're aware of what those are and are attracted to them, we need to commit ourselves to a life of full devotion and complete, complete commitment. I heard a story about a Native American who uh, was, grew up on the reservation. He went to the big city to visit his cousin. As they're walking down the street with the busy traffic and everything, his, this uh, Native American says, I hear a cricket. So his cousin has been living in the city for a long time. He's like, wow, man, that's amazing. So a few minutes later, he's looking around. He sees a cricket and he picks up the cricket and he's holding it. He goes, wow, how could you hear that? Well, while he's picking up the cricket he let a little bit of change out of his pocket. And when he did that, the change hit the ground and a whole bunch of people turned around and looked. So when his cousin asked him, how did you hear that? He said, people listen, hear what's important to them. The noise was no louder than the cricket of the, with the change. The man turned. See, people hear what's important to them. What are you hearing today? What is important to you? What's your priorities? Are you locked into God's kingdom's purposes or are you focused on a bunch of other things? Where's your priorities? What's your choice? The second thing we need to look at is to say no to the distractions. Maybe you can say, maybe you can practice saying no like Nehemiah did. Start saying no to the things that keep you from serving the Lord. Maybe say no to some of those things that prevent you from serving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Start saying no to those things. Start saying no to invitations to do other things that instead of ministry, serving. And when I say ministry, I'm talking about just living out your calling and, and God's calling in your life. That's what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about duties and, and things here at church. When I talk about ministry, I'm, doing, I'm talking about doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. Start saying no to those things that keep you from that. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. And I admit, it takes hard work. But oh, how much greater life is serving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You will have blessings beyond your understanding, beyond what you can imagine. Start saying no to these distractions. 
We're going to watch a video real quick. It's a real short one. Anybody know who Paul Harvey is? I love Paul Harvey. Yeah, I see one hand. Paul Harvey, the late, great Paul Harvey. Uh, this is a thing, a, a, a thing he put on his radio show um, back in 1965, so 51 years ago he put this up. I want you to know that, 51 years. Watch this. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Was that almost prophetic? I mean, did you hear that? How accurate he was? 1965, he wrote, read that. 1965. That's almost exactly the way it is today. We are filled with distractions everywhere. 
the enemy will try to distract you. And while he blasts away, God is building his kingdom. Satan is subtle, but he's efficient. Remember, when God's priorities become our priorities, God's kingdom work will advance. So God's going to move his kingdom forward. He's going to continue doing what he does. And he's going to continue using people to do it. But it's your choice on whether you're going to jump on the ride. It's your choice if you're going to allow these distractions to keep you from doing God's work. When the wall was completed in verse 16, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. May that be said of us. Let's take some time right now and ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify those things that are distracting you. We all have them. Every single one of us in this room has something that distracts us from doing God's work. Is it a friend? Is it an activity? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's possessions. Maybe a career. Things distract us. When the Spirit makes it clear, decide how you can begin to say no to those things that are derailing you from the most important, which is serving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Let's pray. Father God, as, we, as we're filled with distractions every day, there's distractions all over the place, Lord. And in, in, in our culture today, with all the technology and all the things, the, you know, the 200 channels on TV and, and the, all the electronics and all these things that we have available to us, it's so easy to be distracted, Lord. It's so easy. But Lord, we want to serve you. We want to serve you with, with, with everything we have. We want to serve you like Nehemiah has. We want to use our gifts and use our abilities and use our talents and treasures and our time to serve you, Lord, but, but we get distracted with things. And so we ask you, we ask you today, Lord, reveal those things in our lives. Reveal those things that distract us, that keep us from serving. Help us identify those things that distract us from spending time in the Word of God, that distract us from coming here and fellowshipping with other believers. Help us identify those things, Lord, so we can start saying no and give us the courage to say no to these things, Lord. Give us the courage. Help us say no to these distractions so we can, so we can focus on you. Let us have radical faith for you, Lord. Not a lukewarm faith, but a radical faith. A, a desire, a deep-down desire to serve you and see the world changed. We ask you to help us resist those temptations in our lives. We love you so much, Lord, and we just, I just ask you to watch over each and every person here and help them find those distractions in their lives. You're an amazing God, and we're so thankful that you love us so much that you gave us gifts, our spiritual gifts and abilities and personalities to, to be able to meet the needs of the people. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.